basically, I thought about sharing all the things I learned at MomCon, but um, then you just feel like you've been hit by a tidal wave. Um, <laughs> so instead, I am going to talk really fast because I said I needed a half an hour and now we're running behind. But anyways, uh, so good morning. I'm your speaker today, so bear with me. <laughs> you can hear me all day long. Um, <laughs> so how's it going this morning? How's it been going this week? Good. Right? How many times do we do that? How many times do we say, I'm fine, and smile, um, when really our lives are falling apart? Um, I've done it. I've done it. Um, I think all of us have. So this morning we're going to get real. And um, I'm going to basically talk in general about the theme that MOPS has used this year to help us uh, focus, basically. Every year, MOPS picks a theme to kind of guide the year. Uh, and this year, the theme is free indeed with the image of birds, okay? And it's based on the verse from Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so it's about being free. Um, we can't be free unless we recognize our chains and we break free from them and we go in a new direction. And this year is filled with challenge because of that, because it's about you. It's about what maybe you need to let go of, what maybe you need to change in order to go in a new direction. And that's hard. And so this year we're going to be gutsy, we're going to go first, and we're going to let love be the loudest voice. Uh, as part of trying to lead this by example, uh, I thought that I would be gutsy and introduce myself in the way that I was going to ask my steering team to introduce them. I had them just stand up or wave to you. What we were going to do is have them hold signs answering some mom labeling questions like, did you breastfeed or not? <laughs> do you baby wear? Um, are your kids potty trained? They're two. You know, those types of things. Um, cloth diapers or not, you know, that type of thing. We're going to have them stand up here. We're going to do a comparison to show that we're all different and that what connects us is that we're moms of preschoolers and that it's okay and you're accepted here. And this, it's okay if you don't do it the same way I do it. And that we're not going to judge each other because we're coming here to support each other. And so um, as part of that, instead of embarrassing them, um, I decided to embarrass myself and answer those questions myself. So who am I? Uh, my name is Charlene Shambeck McWilliams. I am the mom of four. Their ages are eight, six, four, and two. And uh, my answer to diapers, which is first on the list because I still have one in diapers, two diapers, um, is that she's in boughten diapers. I did not consider cloth because I had a sister four years behind me, and I actually still remember the smell of the cloth diaper pail. So it was not even a consideration. I had no interest. Uh, and I kind of started out, and then once I got into the bot diaper thing, I had no interest in trying anything else. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, um, let's see, breastfeeding, well, sort of. Like, I was thinking about what my answer would be as a steering team member, and I was like, well, sort of. I don't know if it counts or not. You can judge at the end. But um, my goal with number one, um, just to frame it, I was in Alaska. I was away from family. We had just moved there, like, six months before. So it was fairly recently. Um, 
I was planning on going back to work at six weeks, which I did. My husband deployed three weeks after she was born, so I was really, really on my own. And I had no goal other than, I wanted to breastfeed, but I wanted to breastfeed for like the first six weeks and then be done with it by the time I went to work because I knew I had no capacity to do everything by myself, alone, with very little support network. So I had a babysitter who would have been phenomenal and would have supported me in anything I had chosen. Basically, like before she was even born, my goal was to just breastfeed for the first six weeks and move on. Um, and survive the next six months. And so uh, that's kind of setup number one. Then my husband was back for number two, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this the right way. And so I started until, like, the first day when he was a biter, and we nicknamed him the shark. And I know that most of you think that newborns cannot bite you, really, and that is actually not true. Um, I actually, through pumping, again, got through the first six weeks before we switched entirely to formula. Um, but basically, I felt like I'd kind of failed and like there must have been something wrong and like I had, you know, like I sort of know what I'm doing. I had people around me who knew what they, they were doing. My husband's an OB guy and I had like everybody on the OB floor at my disposal. Um, and basically, I was, it, it was a frustrating experience, um, more frustrating than the first one where I just like wasn't planning on going more than six weeks. My third child, I had goals. We were down here, um, and so we were closer to family. I was, you know, more supported. I was working from home, so, like, the baby could be with me all the time. Um, and so, you know, I had a mission. I mean, I met with, like, the breast consultant before I had the baby <laughs> to explain my history to her with number two um, and ensure that we could do everything right so that I could be super successful with number three. Um, and what was interesting was the breastfeeding consultant actually assured me that it wasn't just me, that there are actually shark babies. Um, <laughs> they're rare. And she also assured me that it was very unlikely that I would get a second one so that, you know, good news, number three will not be a shark baby because they see it. So, I mean, she had seen it, like plastic surgery um, referred people seen it. Um, but uh, so she believed me and said it wasn't my fault, but that likely number three would not, not be like that. But um, after kind of having a really good start, um, I ditched it at the point that I went back to work full-time three weeks after he was born and had a difficult recovery after his birth. And so, again, felt like I kind of was letting go of something that, you know, like you're supposed to do. So by number four, I had no goals. <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, I breastfed her the longest. I think I, like, breastfed her for, like, three months. Um, anyways, but bottom line is, like, judge if you want, you know, like, did I really breastfeed? Yeah, I did. But, you know, like, does it really count if you don't get to a year? I, you know, like, People think that when you, you even start describing that history, right? Uh, let's see, baby wearing. Um, I kind of got tangled in like the first wrap somebody tried to show me and they kept saying like just practice more and you'll get it. Um, and I was going back to work and I couldn't take my baby with me and so like that didn't, that, I don't think that lasted more than two tries. Um, <laughs> but then by like number three, like you heard the ages of my kids, right? I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old. I was expecting my fourth. I got nothing done unless I was baby wearing. So I discovered baby wearing with my pregnancy of my fourth because somebody had to eat and somebody had to make the food and I was the only adult in the household and I had a, a three-year-old who needed to be hands-on and I had a one-year-old who just wished somebody would pay attention to him and, um, and basically it was the only way that anything in our household got done um, with the kids' needs being met too. Um, working versus stay at home. Um, I've worked full-time. I have worked... Uh, 70 to 80 hours a week full-time with a husband deployed with an infinite home. I have worked part-time and full-time from home. I am now a stay-at-home mom. Um, so I've been there. 
I understand if you're one of those people and you feel like maybe the other people don't understand you, um, you feel that way no matter which group you're in. So I can assure you, having been in all of them, that you feel like you're not doing it right and people are judging you when you are working and you feel like the same way when you're staying at home. Um, and so, and when you're in between, you feel even worse because you feel like they're all judging you. So, um, <laughs> so I don't really have answers for any of those things, and I don't have a right or a wrong way, and that's the whole point, is that none of us do. You know, schooling, I, you know, I've, my kids have been enrolled in school full-time, I've homeschooled full-time, I've done the part-time homeschool thing, like university model, they go to school part of the time and are home part of the time, and um, discipline, I thought, discipline, I've spanked, I've timed out, I've shouted, I've cried, I've threatened um, and not followed through, I've said I can't do this anymore, I quit. Um, and so that's what this is about. All of us have stories. All of us have answers to that, those questions. And um, none of us have all the answers. And so we're just going to accept where people are. And we're going to love them for where they are. And we're going to let them mom the way they need to mom and encourage them where they are. Um, <clears throat> so some right now are probably thinking, too much information. Where's the door? <laughs> Um, and some of you are maybe horrified, and some of you maybe recognize a little bit of yourself in my answers. And I hope so. Um, because I feel like just being moms of preschoolers, like just having had a baby and held them, and whether you're at that, that stage still and you, you aren't even to the toddler stage yet, um, or your child's in kindergarten and you're almost done with the preschool years, I feel like we all get it, and we, we should all get it. The point of MOPS is connection. We give you a break so that you can connect. Um, we give you the little time away from your kiddos. Um, we meet with kiddos to do the mid-month meetings. Um, we try to encourage you by bringing in speakers that we hope will give you hope, that we hope will maybe teach you something, um, that will help you be a better parent, um, a better partner, um, a better friend, a better mom. Um, and hopefully along the way, you'll make a couple mom friends here. So even if it's one or two, I hope that 10 years from now, you can look back at this group and point to the people that you met here that um, have become friends that are beyond the preschool years because of the connections that you made here. Uh, it takes guts to connect, even here when we say that this is a safe place. Uh, you might have to let go of comparison. You might need to share the real you. And that has great reward because it's how you make new friends, but it also has great risk because it means somebody could reject you. Uh, and you might have to try a couple times to find you know, the friend that's gonna be that 10-year friend, and that's okay too. Um, it's, there's a progression of friendship. And this list comes out of a book called Better Together Because You're Not Meant to Mom Alone. I love this book. The steering team has suffered through me using it last year as a teaching tool. But it's in some of the bags of the people who won prizes. And if you're done with them, when you read through it or you don't read through it, put it on the back table and let somebody else use it. In this book, she puts a list of MBFs, who are people who might be your friends, like the people you just met at the park. Women who you're trying to be friends with, like who you're inviting. Most of you probably got here because somebody invited you to come, right? And then she has um, good girlfriends, the people you hang out with. And then she, the BFF, the person who, when your life is falling apart, you pick up the phone and you call, or who comes over and holds you. Uh, so the fun thing about this, that as you kind of 
think about it and reflect on it, is that there is a progression of friends, friendship, and that you don't need to have everybody at the BFF level. In fact, most of us couldn't tolerate 50 of you at the butt, right? Um, <laughs> you don't want 50 BFFs. Um, <laughs> But we all need people at all of these levels. And so if you think about where maybe people in this room are or in your group, um, my hope for you this year is that you'll be gutsy enough to take somebody to the next level of friendship with you. Um, you know, take somebody that you've just met and invite them to meet you for coffee or at the park. Um, like I said, they might not be the person who makes it to the BFF level, but they might be somebody who makes it to the good friend level um, so think about that year, this year. Be gutsy enough to try to take somebody to the next level of friendship with you. Uh, if you feel like you've got it together and you have enough friends, I challenge you to think about the fact that you probably have room for one more. Um, especially if you're new to an area. I'm, I'm a military spouse. We've moved many times. Um, it's really hard when you feel like everybody has been friends forever. And this is a rural, small-town area where there are a lot of people here who have lived their, here their whole lives, and they have their circle of friends. Just Leanne was just saying that she has a friend that she's been friends with for 35 years that was her best friend in first grade. Um, I, you know, I know people that I've known since first grade, but I moved here five years ago. So, you know, is Leanne open enough to invite me and let me be her friend, even though I haven't known her for 35 years. So just that thought of, you always have room for one more. And I challenge you to think of what you are doing on your own that you could be doing with another mom. So we're going to be gutsy this year and make new friends. And as part of that, we're going to go first this year. So going first means letting go of things that limit you from connection. Uh, about a year ago, I had a huge shift in perception of, about the word hospitality. Um, I had grown up in a household where we had company like every week, like Sunday evening. That's what we did. We were either going to someone else's house or they were coming to our house. And in my childhood mind, what that meant, like reflecting back, was that we did deep cleaning like most of Saturday. Um, we set the table with the like real china and got to eat in the dining room. Uh, we actually used the dishwasher that we never used, even though we had one, except for after a Sunday night dinner. And, um, you know, we just, most of us don't live that way anymore, or at least I didn't, and part of it might be the moving thing and not having a big circle of established people that I do that with, but I was contemplating why I didn't do that. And I thought, you know, are we too busy? Do I really not have any real friends? Um, like, do I just have a bunch of Facebook-like people and not really friend friends? Um, is it that I really can't deep clean my house with four kids? Um, it all seems impossible. <laughs> yes, that's part of it, right? <laughs> it's more like controlled chaos. It's like the actual idea of deep cleaning and perfectly in place doesn't ever happen. Um, and I realized um, as part of that reflection that hospitality, think about this, the word hospitality does not have the word house in it. And in my mind, that word had always been tied to what you do in your home, how you welcome people in, are you a gracious host. It has the word hospital in it. So it's not about my home, and it's not the where, but the how. How do people feel after they encounter me? How do people leave, feel when they leave my home? So if I could let go of this idea of what it needed to be or this illusion that I had created 
um, that I never felt like I could achieve, so maybe that was preventing me from inviting people. Um, could I make it about focusing on people and to see having a coffee date in a park or meeting somebody at Chick-fil-A while the kids played be hospitality? And um, it really changed from thinking of, oh, I can't have people over to dinner because I don't have, you know, four courses, to, hey, you're here and it's 5 o'clock. Do you have something planned for dinner? You know, call your husband tell him to come here and bring the kids and I'll just add more to the tacos. I and mean, part of it about being real, but part of it being about am I sharing, am I looking at the person and not worrying about all the other stuff. So what ideas are holding you back that you need to let go of in order to go first? It probably means that there are things um, that you don't even realize that you're holding on to, but just something to consider. And to do this, you really need margin in your life. So that means you have to have rhythms of both doing and rest that allow you to both take care of yourself, but also to really see the people around you. Um, so you know, what are you doing to go first in taking care of yourself and putting yourself first? We as mom, right? Moms of preschoolers, do you ever put yourself first? Um, you know, I consider single shower time, like my time to myself. You know, I mean, seriously. So, you know, when do you take time to put yourself first so that you have margins so that you can be that friend and you can extend hospitality and you can encounter uh, people and have them walk away feeling better than when they walked in and met you. Um, it is okay to lock yourself in the bathroom for a moment. Okay, so I know I said that, but it, that's okay. And you can also use coffee as a crutch. Um, I do. <laughs> um, going first also means asking for help. And I wanted to just tell you a little, another little story of um, when I was in Alaska. So I have my first child, you know, we've recently moved up there, we don't really have any help. And I grew up in the Midwest where like people bring you food for everything, right? I mean, you have a baby, people are supposed to show up, like line up on your doorstep and bring you food. And I didn't even realize that that was a conception I had until no one, because no one really knew us, I think, no one showed up and lined up and brought me food. Um, and I kind of was disappointed, like we were attending a church and we were in a neighborhood and like, you know, like don't people just know that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and someone explained that, and this is very true, that Alaskans, um, they're really, like I felt like people weren't friendly, but um, someone said, no, you know, Alaskans would love to help you, but here, the, you know, this is the wilderness. The assumption is that if you don't ask for help, you must want to do it on your own. And people do not get in your business by showing up on your doorstep and bringing you food. But if you tell them that you would like food, they will bring it to you. And um, that proved true. I was lucky enough to be there for my second child, and I, you know, explained that I was very disappointed the first time I had a child. We had no food. <laughs> and uh, I had so much food brought that, thank God, he was born in November, and that it's so cold there, you could just put stuff on the back porch in the snow <laughs> because we had no more freezer space. I mean, people would bring over a meal, and I'd just take it right back out on the back porch after they left. Um, and we ate for like a month off the back porch. So uh, just to tell you that sometimes you just have to be bold enough and go first and ask people that you have to seek it for yourself, that people don't always know what you need and what you're thinking and why, why you're disappointed in that situation. So um, in addition to being gutsy and going first, we're going to let love be the loudest voice. 
So at MomCon, I saw a t-shirt that um, was actually like toddler t-shirts and onesies, and they said, love is my loudest voice. <laughs> and I thought they were kind of cute, and then I thought, is it mine? They also had adult ones, and I thought, I think that applies to maybe a little kid that's kind of cute, but is it mine? Um, our words are so powerful. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And I think each of us can remember hurtful words that were spoken to us and the person who said that just right thing at the right time that lifted us up, right? You can remember both. You can remember words maybe from your childhood that you carry with you forever that shape how you think about what you look like or what your skills are or what you're good at or what you're bad at based on something that somebody said that stuck with you that was either super wounding or super soothing. Um, as moms, do we shout love? And do we whisper correction? What if every time I raise my voice, it was to say, I love you? Have I ever shouted, I love you, out the back door to tell my kids to come in for dinner? Like, instead of, hey, come in for dinner, that I always think about. Like, when have I shouted the loudest? Um, and we kind of have a big backyard, so... Uh, probably when I yell for them to come in, like instead of a dinner bell, what if they heard me shout, I love you, and that was their signal to come in, and every day they heard me shout that at them? What if my I love yous were spoken face to face and whispered in a hug or a snuggle? What if, uh, that is actually how I do it, I'm sorry, not what if, that's how I do it. My I love yous are spoken face to face and whispered in a hug or a snuggle. What if that's how I scolded and corrected? And I pulled in a child and I hugged them as I said, I need you to clean your room now. And it was a whisper in their ear. What if you exchanged those two things, the things that you shout that are maybe negative and you whisper them and you shout the things that are maybe whispers that would shout and say in your loudest voice that you love them. Our speaker last month spoke of blessing her children, and it made me think about, do I bless my children? How do I speak to my children? Do I speak hope into them? Um, a hope of what they are, but what they can become. And, um, and as I thought about that, I thought, well, maybe some of us, um, or maybe some of you, feel like you didn't get a lot of blessing in your life. Maybe you didn't have parents that spoke blessing into your life. Maybe you feel like you had curses spoken over you. Um, and when you have that type of pain, I want to say that Jesus gives us a great example in, in an interaction in the Bible that I think shows us how we can bless our children specifically. Um, and maybe it's a new example for you to follow if you haven't had an example of this. But Jesus, in his interactions with Peter, in his last days of life, Jesus knows that he's going to die, and he tells Peter that he will deny knowing him when things get really dangerous at the end. And Peter's like, oh, no, that would never happen. And Jesus says, yes, it will. Not once, but multiple times. You will deny me. Um, you will basically tell an untruth, and you will lie to be disassociated with me. Okay, so that was true about Peter. Okay, and because it's truth about Peter, Jesus could have stopped there, and we could know Peter as Peter the denier. Right? That could be kind of how Peter's remembered. Peter the denier. Everyone would know who you were talking about. But Jesus also tells P Peter in the, in the same setting that he is a rock on which his church will be built after his death. 
and that is how we know Peter now, as Peter the Rock. Was Peter a rock of steadfastness at the time Jesus was talking to him? No. But he saw the potential, knew the potential, and knew what he would become, and he spoke the truth of his future into him when he said, you will be the rock. Not you are right now. Today you're the denier, and tomorrow you're going to be the denier, and this week you will be the denier, and then you're going to be the regretter. But you are going to become that same quality that makes you a liar and a flip-flopper now and not able to tell the truth is going to make you so solid that you are the rock in the future church. So how can we do that as parents? Right? That sounded like two different people that Jesus was describing. And so when you want to say, George, you're so messy, can you say, George, you are going to learn how to organize things. I'm going to sit here with you, and we're going to organize things. You're going to be the best organizer. Um, when you want to say, Susie, you are being so loud, just be quiet. Can you say, Susie, you have the voice of a champion. You would make a great announcer. Like, you have a great announcing voice. Um, Peter, you're so stubborn. Or, Peter, you're the most determined little boy that I know. And I can see you persevering and doing great things when you grow up. So how do we let love be the loudest voice? I can tell you that sometimes um, I think love is silent. Sometimes the loudest we can speak is with the things that we don't say. And as I get older, I appreciate more and more, maybe mature, I appreciate the many things that my parents could have said to me but didn't. So I challenge you to think about this. The word listen is the same letters as the word silent. They have the same letters. So when your friend or spouse or child is having a very bad, no good day, do you listen? Do you just be quiet. Stop telling them how you're going to fix it. Um, stop telling them what they could have done better, what they could do different, how they can be different tomorrow. And do you just listen? Can that be the way that your love is the loudest to them? When you could point out errors in that bluebird painting and how it could be better, can you just smile and say it's the best bluebird you've ever seen? It's hard. You might have to let go of your big expectations, your comparisons, your crit criticisms, your previous history and ways of doing things, and you might have to be gutsy. You might have to go first, and I hope that you'll let love be the loudest voice. And if you do, by the end of this year, you will have made a friend, and you will be free indeed. Thank you. So we have some discussion questions, and uh, each of your 